And welcome to Cinephil's Take 5. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about two films. It's a it's a twofer episode, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, I thought it'd be fun to do a twofer. And, like, you know, the Oscars were just, an, uh, nominees were just announced, so got all excited and decided to do two films today. Yeah, well, I've been immersed in films uh, all week as a result, catching up on the Oscar nominees, but this uh, week we're going to talk uh, first about um well first uh first we should address the the um the voice message from the last episode and then we'll talk about the two films um the first being um uh Truffaut's Day for Night and the other one being uh Bob Fosse's All That Jazz but we did get a voice message from my mother as i mentioned um who uh had some things to say about Godard and Bergman, did you did you have a chance to listen to that, Rob? Full confession, I did not. What did your mom say, David? <laughs> oh, it's okay. Uh, I'll I'll uh, replay it as well um, uh, in this episode. Uh, so um, she she mentioned that um, uh, Godard was a big fan of Bergman, um, uh, and you know, as I mentioned, she's a Bergman scholar, um, and and she. she she also mentioned that um, Bergman couldn't stand Godard. So, uh, you know, this seems to be a theme uh, that we'll address in some of our uh, comments about Foucault, too, um, because Godard had a way of um, putting some people off, didn't he? Yeah, Godard, let's just say it, Godard was a bit of a prick. You know, um, he basically, uh, he, he annoyed basically everybody he worked with, including... Yeah. Uh, you like his ex-wife. Um, yeah, like. So he made, he made would, Guido look, look good, I would say. Yeah, like, and uh, like, uh, what does, uh, like, he did alienate Truffaut uh, in his remarks about uh, Day for Night. And uh, there was a comment uh, in Truffaut's letter, like the story of Day for Night is, Godard wrote like a, quick one-page note to Truffaut about Day for Night, uh, where he calls Truffaut a liar. And then uh, Truffaut responds with, like, a 21-page letter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, basically trashing Godard and, uh, and like, 15 years of uh, issues uh, he bring, Truffaut brings up. And at one point, he calls Godard uh, the Ursula Andrews the Ursula Andrus of militants, which is by that he basically meant that Godard uh, popped up and made made a few remarks and then took the spotlight away and then disappeared. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So the basic claim that uh, Godard was he alienated everybody is very true. So. <laughs> we could talk about because um Truffaut also calls him on that um and that was Bergman so Bergman had a lot of trouble with that Bergman was pretty progressive in in treating women in, in film um but let's talk about day for night and then and then get around to Bob Fosse and this is uh these movies I select because they were obvious either rip-offs or I highly uh influenced by Fellini's eight and a half which we talked about last episode and um i you know i i think that um 
if you haven't read Godard's and Truffaut's back and forth, and I had, thank you for sending that to me. I had, I've been reading that and some commentary on the, that, that correspondence for a while. Um, Godard's criticism of Truffaut is that this movie is what a, a little fake to Hollywood, to bourgeois, really. Um, and you know, Godard is this authentic militant of the proletariat and won't stand for it, more, more or less. Is, is that your? That's that's what I got out of that. Yeah, it, it's weird. Um, like Godard, basically, the first line of his letter to Truffaut about day for night he calls Truffaut a liar and that oh. was because um basically tr- during the shooting of day for night uh Truffaut uh, apparently w- was having an affair with uh Jacqueline Bessette and that was not shown in the movie uh and uh, I think that's what Godard was doing with his little missive and then or his little note, and then he ends off that note asking Truffaut for money for his next <laughs> film. Yeah. Um, and reading over Godard's note, it's really unclear how much animosity Godard had to Truffaut, if any. Um, and then uh, Truffaut, of course, loses it uh, and uh, totally dis- uh, trash as Godard. After that note, uh, Godard made a few overtures to uh, try to see, uh, try to reconcile with Truffaut, but Truffaut was having none of it. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, it's unclear whether Truffaut misread Godard or whether he was just looking for an excuse to trash Godard. Uh, because these two, they were they did work together on the on the Cahiers de, de Cinema, uh, both as critics. And uh, there's a shot of a Godard book in Dave right. Night. Uh, but you also know that they had that they did have a falling out during May '68. Um, in May '68, uh, when they closed out, when when Godard and Truffaut got involved with that was when they closed down uh, the National Film uh, Museum. Uh, and essentially, this is uh, both Godard and Truffaut stood up and said, this is wrong, you can't do this, you're eviscerating the arts in this cult- in for the French culture, uh, particularly cinema. And then, interestingly, Godard went also against the cops. Uh, Godard said that the cops who did beat the students um, were overreacting and using way too much violence and that the cops were uh, representatives of an authoritarian state, authoritarian state run amok. Uh, and um, Truffaut, on the other hand, said, thought that the police were representatives of the urban proletariat and right. the very the very worker class um that any putatively Maoist revolution would be on the side of. Uh so they did have a falling out in May sixty eight. Um and then it sort of came to a head in uh seventy three with 
the the letter exchange and uh they never they never recovered like uh Truffaut died of a brain tumor i think in 84 and uh he he didn't speak with he didn't speak yeah. to Godard. Uh, yeah. Like, for like yeah, a no, lot, it, lot, it, lot of years it, yeah. it's a sad story um and i i want to yeah. address so I, I think that first of all i think uh day for night is a delightful little film um it is a a, a sort of um it, it, and I, ha- I have to say this, having just seen The Fablemans as well, it is a, it is a film lover's film. Um, Truffaut uh, revels in the sort of day-to-day um, production, the, the minutiae, the details, trying to wrangle. You know, he plays this character who's directing a film and, and shows us, you know, that this is a sort of, this is sort of like a conductor, this, this role as a director and i think so does so in with this uh you know the movie they're making um which is a you know bourgeois tale as well um you know in a delightful way that makes us you know just kind of like the 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 notion of of making films and and feel like there's something magical about it which, which i think you know as a film lover appeals to me um but he also um he also he does this without this i mean there's a little bit of a tragedy there's a couple of tragedies and melodramas going on but nothing like you know nobody's gonna off themselves like in uh, the, some of the other films we've seen um <laughs> there's you know the one and there's also some some um progressive uh things going on for instance the uh the uh, uh homosexual actor the, the only the, the the death right is this guy um, who you know is just delightful, a wonderful character in in the film who helps to hold things together, um, helps to bring this aging actress right who's feeling uh, sensitive and um, self conscious, helps to bring her through this, um, and then this you know this young guy, this sort of uh, yeah. starstruck, uh, love lost guy right who who yeah. is um, just so clueless about women you know asking the Truffaut character are women magic um, this is a delightful scene that um i think uh, makes these characters human in a way that um i think Bellini um didn't um and that's that's why i prefer this film yeah well there's a lot to prefer in this film uh to uh eight and a half uh, yeah. Mainly because, uh, yes, it is light or fair. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, uh, the Jean-Pierre uh, Legault, Leod uh, Alphonse character, Alphonse, wandering right. uh, around uh, telling everybody that, uh, or asking everybody, are women magic? Like, that's like, yes. every time he's on the screen, basically, in the first hour of that movie, he's either... Uh, Groping uh, Danae, um, Lilian, uh, who's played by a French uh, singer named Danny. Um, He's either groping her or wandering around to the whole crew and asking them, are women magic? Are women magic? And then, like, as the movie progresses, like, he's playing go-kart. He's, at one point, riding go-karts and stuff. He is 
He's uh, childlike. Yeah, he's, he's, childlike he's, he's a man-child. Yeah. yeah. He's a man-child uh, who's not on, who honestly is not played in the same way as Guido from Eight and a Half is shown to be a man-child. It's much, he's a much more charming child, man-child. Yeah, innocent. He's innocent. And, and, mm. and he's leveled, so he's brought down by all the characters around him in a gentle way, not in a demeaning way which I think is important. They're sort of trying to raise him, trying to tell him the truth about things, trying to get him to grow up a little, you know? And I mean, and you have to admire, what, what is the name of Truffaut's character? Um, oh, uh, I have that written down here in my notes. Uh, for I just Fran? think of him as yeah. Truffaut. Yeah. yeah, 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 it's Fran. No, Francois Fran, okay. Truffaut plays Baran, the director okay. of this movie, which is called, um, well, in French, it's called uh, Je vous présente Pamela, or Meet yeah. Pamela, literally, Meet I, Pamela. Introduce, I introduce you to Pamela, um, right. you know, which, which is uh, not a very good film from the looks of it, like just a pretty standard uh, melodrama. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a yeah. sort of pot boiler, um, um, yeah. sex comedy type thing, or, or yeah. sex drama. Yeah, they're not um, trying to remake the Odyssey here, for example. No. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. And that, and that, I think, so So that's the other thing, is Truffaut's giving, um, uh, taking away the sort of Hollywood veneer of films. I mean, because, you know, thousands of films are made every year. Most of us never see them. Uh, most of them, you know, now they go directly to Netflix and things like that, other streaming services. Um, but even then, you know, there were thousands that made every year that just never, you know, they made it to a couple of um, uh, movie theaters at best. Many of them uh, broke even if they were lucky. Um, you know, there was no VHS beta sales at the time, so they'd go to um, small theaters. Um, and this, but this is the, this is the sort of workmanlike view of the the world of making movies which also reminded me a bit of altman um robert altman who i'm sure will do a film or two about or, you know we'll we'll talk about some of his films at some point who does this too so that he and and this is i think important and, and an insight into the business that um you know is just not not normally seen in these sorts of films yeah i, I loved it I loved it, how lighthearted it was, how accurate it was about, like, there was no elevating cinema to the grand work of art, which you saw in the opening sequence of Contempt, you know, mm -hmm. with Godard's voiceover, you know, and whereas here it's, yes, this is just people doing their jobs. Sometimes they're stoned, sometimes they're drunk. There's a man-child. There are affairs on film sets, but uh, it's all. None of it is tragic, and right. it like it's it's not a a love forever that is tender and tragic and uh, filled with despair. Like Alphonse's character, who uh, Truffaut uses that actor quite a bit, uh, Jean Pierre Lyot, um, and. Uh, when he gets his comeuppance, uh, but like at one point, uh, he's after 
the script supervisor, played by Danny, runs off with the stuntman, right. uh, Alphonse. British stuntman, of course. Yeah, yeah. who, uh, yeah, like, Alphonse is like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to give up on cinema. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to quit the movie, and he's packing his bags. But before he does that, um, Truffaut's character, the director, uh, has a little talk with him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is a comeuppance, but it's a very gentle comeuppance. Uh, the lines that uh, that uh, Fran says, um, you're a very good actor. No one's personal life runs smoothly. That only happens in the movies. No traffic jams or useless downtime. Movies move along life. Movies move along like trains in the night. And people like you and me are happy only in our work. You know, like, that's, like, basically a nice little speech just saying, look it, do your job, man. You know? Yeah. Do your job. You know you like your job. Just do it. Like, you know? <laughs> this, you know, this reminded like, me of, of um, Shakespeare. Um, so Shakespeare's comedies have yeah. a lot of this. Like, you have the, the some some kid, you know, who's getting all hot-headed or some old guy yeah. getting all, you know, uh, you know, full of himself and and then the he, they're brought down they're brought back to reality they're they're sort of set straight um and this is i think you know the as i'm reading a lot of because i'm teaching about it i'm i'm reading a lot of um plato and um uh i think both plato and aristotle have this you know this preference for the mean right the moderate the temperate this these are essential virtues and these are the virtues that carry us forward and and that's what i think you know the, instead of the sort of grandiosity of contempt or eight and a half this is a this is a film that more people can imagine themselves uh you know you know being a a, a gaff gaffer or something you know uh in in one of these in one of these situations and 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 you know even the fact that Truffaut starts the movie with that, with shots that to reveal the facade of this town. You know, we're yeah. we're we're fully aware it's all facade, um, and <laughs> and it and it is this sort of just workmanlike um, boot, and and they get through it. Yeah, and uh, like I also like shortly after the Alphonse's uh, conversation with. Uh, Brand. Well, Alphonse still wants to leave the movie, and then Jacqueline Bassett's character, uh, <laughs> I, her name's Julie, Julie Baker, uh, ends up sleeping with him as to sort of commiserate, right, or, or to sort of appease him or or settle him down. And anyway, um, Alphonse, being the fool he is, uh, thinks that this is love, sweet love. So he ends up phoning Doctor Nelson. Uh, which is Jacqueline Bassett's husband, um, and says, like, you might as well leave your wife. She loves me now. We're forever and ever. Um, story. And uh, the moment when that happens, you expect there to be the grand blow. You expect some sort of profound cinematic spectacle. <laughs> Instead, Jacqueline Bassett basically uh, her character locks herself in her dressing room and uh, wants uh, some bath butter. 
and uh, the director brings a tour, and Jack Limbusette's like, okay, I'll be back in, like, just give me 10 minutes here to get myself organized. And the husband, Dr. Nelson, shows up on the set, and he's like, yeah, I get it. Don't worry about it. Just carry on. There is no profound cinematic drama here. This is just surprisingly well-adjusted people working through things uh because that's life right that's yeah. that's what life actually does it's not like the movies yeah yes and that's a that's an important so it's so strange to me that you know godard could accuse Truffaut of lying um when he's showing us i think more truth and less of that sort of grandiosity um then then we saw in contempt. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's just a delightful little um, film that, um, and again, it, you know, as a film buff, I like the little touches where he's showing us the equipment, right? These cameras, uh, the people lugging stuff around the lights and, and all of this stuff behind the scenes. It's, it's, it's truth. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, sort of straightforward uh, film produ- production um, in action uh, without the, without the um, show and glitz. Speaking of which, <laughs> do you want to talk about all that jazz? Uh, sure. Uh, but just before we get to that, uh, just do that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the, did you notice who did the soundtrack to Day for Night? Uh, like, first of all, two things. Uh, what does Day for Night mean? Uh, okay, so yeah, yeah, that's La Nuit Americaine. Yeah, day for night is how you sh- you and you find it. I was just watching a mm-hmm. western in which they use it ex- extensively. Um, day for night was how Hollywood shot night scenes um, because they couldn't um, actually shoot at night. They used filters uh, over. You know, they shoot in in the day, and they would use filters to make it try to look like night. But you can always tell. Uh, that this is day for night, but in French it's Le Nuit Américain, which is the actual name of the film. Yeah, uh, and it, I didn't see any day for night shots in there. Oh, uh, there was. There was there were, okay. Tell, yeah, when was yeah. it? Like, uh, well, at one o two is when they first mentioned day for night, and immediately uh, one hour two minutes in, and immediately after that is the exact opposite of a day for night shot. It's a night for day shot. Right. And then, okay. And then immediately, and then after that sequence, uh, at uh, one ten to one fifteen, the stuntman going off the cliff. Uh, that was a uh, proper day for night. Shot. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It was yeah. shot because I yeah I remember yeah. them shooting it in the day, and then I remember they were screening it as day for night. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. And yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a, a fun little. I, I think it's a great title for a movie. And uh but the Fantastic. yeah. Yeah, a fun yeah. little trivia fact. The soundtrack for this was which I thought was magnificent of Day for Night, um yeah. was done by Georges Delarue, the same guy who did the soundtrack for uh Contempt. Okay. Uh, yeah, just well, but this is a lot yeah. more richly textured than um Contempt's soundtrack. Um so in contempt, there was a single theme that kept uh, swelling up and then going down. Day for night, I thought had a a, a more varied, um, richly textured soundtrack, but also quite quite lovely. Right? 
still. Um, you ready to talk about Bob Fosse's eight and a half? I sure am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, um, first of all, uh, well, what did you think of this? You 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 recommended you suggested yeah. this film. So uh, why don't you lead us into it and tell us what this film means to you? So um, I know a lot about this film. So Bob Fosse, of course, the famous um, choreographer who choreographed in, in movies and on Broadway for quite some time, and also had directed um, um, uh, some some other great movies as well. I think he did Cabaret. He also did. Um, Lenny, which mm-hmm. is a film we could probably talk about um, at some point too. Yeah. Um, Bob Fosse does this, what he claims is not at all autobiographical, but it, which is clearly very autobiographical movie uh, about a choreographer who's a, who's a philandering, um, uh, drug abusing, um, uh, workaholic and perfectionist uh, who who gets sick as a result and sort of faces the 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 music of his of his many um errors in life um which is you know uh, again filmed in a way that is uh basically ripping off a lot of eight and a half um we get a lot of scenes that are similar and a lot of sort of the sense of it um that's similar in the sort of circus like atmosphere um and I think it's a it's again it's it's a musical comedy so it's a little different tone and it's a, li- a lighter tone for much of the film um and I think one of the great performances um from Roy Scheider who is I think a, an excellent actor and you know um I think um was just the perfect um person to play Fosse in this role um and you know he 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 makes this character simultaneously um reprehensible and sympathetic um in a way that i think uh Bellini was trying with guido um and that you know i think i, I think um Schneider pulls off in a in a convincing way um it, it has a i don't i'm i have issues with parts of the film um but I, i'm interested in your thoughts I had seen it many times before. I was a big fan of this film. Um, I'm a, so um, I, I was delighted to watch it again in light of having seen Eight and a Half. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Well, yeah, uh, I came to this with fresh eyes. I'd, I'd heard of this film. I'd, I'd had it recommended to me, but I'd never checked it out. So you are responsible um for, for this uh david uh um i thought um you know if guido uh made me loathe uh frederico fellini then joe gideon uh makes me uh not a big fan of bob uh fossey yeah uh, absolutely um, you know like roy scheider's performance was magnificent um but I really didn't like the character at all. I found I've honestly, um, if we are to compare the characters of Guido and Joe Gideon, I prefer Guido Uh, because at least Guido had some sort of uh, interiority um, going on. Well, you know, 
you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like what I uh, yeah, like uh, he's wrestling yeah. with his interiority in those sequences, is he not? Yeah, uh, yes, he I was. But, yeah, I lost you too. Uh, hopefully, we're back. Uh, can you hear me now? Okay, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can. Okay. Uh, I thought um, there was no motive for what uh, Roy Schreider, uh, Joe Gideon was doing other than to sleep with women. And, yeah. uh, you know, like at least with uh, Roy Schreider, uh, with uh, Guido, I thought there was hints of something else going on there, like childhood trauma or whatever. Whereas, like, Where's uh, Joe Gideon? Like, what made him into the person he is? We have that one shot of uh, him as a as a young man. It wasn't a, a child, uh, a teenager, uh, performing late night at a burlesque uh, and yeah. having ejaculated in his pants because he was cavorting with strippers uh, backstage. And that's right. that. That's all we got for his uh, motives for it. And I'm like. Oh, that's uh, superfluous, or that's not superfluous. That's that's almost trivial. Um, yeah, uh, I you're thought... right. No, you're, he he is not a deep yeah. character, and he is terribly flawed. Yeah, um, and, and the only thing he has going on for him is his art. Right, and um, yeah, and then I guess I like, yeah, was this film autobiographical? Despite what, well, I'm not. I don't know what Fosse said, but like you know, like so Fosse in the or Bob Joe Gideon in the movie is trying to edit a movie about a comic. So that's obviously he's. Uh, and I think the movie was called Stand Up in the film, uh, whereas it, this corresponds to Lenny yeah. in real uh, in 1974. Right. And then um, he was right. also trying to stage a musical. The musical in the film was called NYLA. Uh, at this time, uh, Fosse was staging a musical called uh, Chicago, right. um, which is the metropolis between New York and LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the film ends with uh, Joe Gideon dying. And, um, you know, while yeah. editing, yeah, yeah, while editing the the movie, right. uh, you're back, uh, I'm right here, yeah, yeah, okay, yep. and, yeah. and absolutely, it is autobiographical, and I'm. I agree with you. This is this is a person who's worse than than Guido, um, which is which is astounding that that Fosse would go ahead and do this. I'm not sure if this is so. My my theory is that this is some sort of confession. It's not contrition, but that confession sort. Yeah, um, and the film is oddly pro- prophetic because. Uh, Fosse himself did die of a heart, a massive heart attack in 87. Um, 
what did you think of um, the thing I liked about the film is all the little interrogations with uh, the angel of death. And I liked this repeated uh, montage of like, what was it? it was, I think we want to make it. We're going to want to make a cut here. Um, so why don't we um, come back in five seconds here? I'll make a cut uh, when I'm editing. Um, so it, um, if you could again address my claim that this is not not necessarily contrition but confession. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so was it contrition or confession? Um, yeah, I agree. It is a confession, uh, or just uh, a narcissistic uh, expression that he thinks he's awesome. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and I really do think that was going on. Like, uh, and there's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's a very good statement to make. Uh, other directors have made it too. Like, uh, I think Bellini was doing something very similar with Gideon. Um, yeah. But with, with, Guido. Or, uh, with Guido, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh thing I did like about this film was the Angel of Death montage, uh which occurs which just sort of separates the vignettes of the film <laughs> and that you know right. that that's like uh That's Faye Dunaway. Yeah. She, yeah. 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 And I thought that was uh really well done. Uh I just I liked it. Um, the whole scene. There were a number of flourishes cinematically that I thought worked very well. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah. That um, Angel of Death, and that, again, that's very much out of sort of Broadway stage musical mm-hmm. craft. Um, but also, I mean, the musical numbers I thought were very well done. Um, the, um, the scene in the hospital um when he is when he is um undergoing surgery was i thought delightful it was it was funny you, you, i i love to watch him directing uh you know in this role as director um as as they're doing this stuff in the hospital it was funny you know and it wasn't i don't think it was again it was wasn't particularly deep um but it didn't have to be he he's somehow confronting his own mortality and and i think as you said it was prophetic because he did die soon thereafter yeah and uh it was like the scene where they were doing the open heart surgery on him and Mm -hmm. that was intercut with the producers deciding whether or not to uh continue with the show or bet on his death (laughs) Uh, like so they are so in a metaphorical sense the producers are literally ripping out his heart um while the doctors are ripping out his heart or or at least performing bypass surgery on it so i thought that was that was interesting that was that was cool uh that was worth watching um i did like the the first line that uh, Gideon says, uh, or nearly the first line, uh, he says to the angel of death, where uh, it's to be on a wire is life. Everything else is wanting. Uh, so mm-hmm. like that, that wasn't, and uh, 
Joe Gideon admits that, that wasn't his line. It was actually from uh, uh, Carl Walenda, the founder of the Flying Walendas. Right. You know, you know, but it's like it did serve as uh, an interest, a fun little thesis to the film that I mm-hmm. thought, you know, was echoing uh, contempt in structure. Like, you know, okay, in the opening minutes, we're going to give you a thesis. We're going to tell you what this movie's about. And I thought uh, that uh, was a nice, nice little moment. Uh, and I did appreciate uh, that. Uh, Gideon at least had the humility to admit that it wasn't his line. Um, he he also knew when to go out. So I mean, yeah. this is a suicide, right? The the um the guy has had this uh, devastating heart attack and then bypass surgery, right? Which had to cost th- hundreds of thousands of dollars. All this surgery, and he goes ahead and he starts smoking and cavorting with uh, the nurses and and all this, you know. Uh, ridiculous stuff in the hospital uh, as clearly a part of a death wish at this point. Yeah. And and no less so than Guido's own suicide. Uh, Just the, you know, he, he goes out with, without, I mean, and again, without contrition, um, but with this sort of um, um, cinematic confession of what a, you know, what a empty, ridiculous uh, person he's been. But with pride in the work that he's created, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, I just wonder, like, you know, how much uh, pride did the producers actually have in his work? Like, they're um, no, it was money for them. Yeah, it, it was, was like it was. like they were basically they were banking on his death. That was the right. only way that his work could be profitable was right. if he died. Uh, uh, and I thought that was uh, interesting, fun. And Jonathan uh, Lithgow was fantastic yeah. as this, um, yeah, you know, this producer who's he's willing to step in, right, to to help out his friends. Yeah, and he's just a, uh, and his own show has just flopped. Yeah. So uh, that that was there were funny touches, and I thought the yeah. comedy was. No, it's very New York humor, I guess, uh, yeah. too, which, which yeah. is probably why it appeals to me. Yeah. The scene where uh, John Lithgow is talking with the producers in the cafe, and the waitress, waiter comes up to him and says, oh, oh, you're the famous director, aren't you? And she's asking for his autograph. And then she, while he's signing the autograph, she's like, yeah, you're not as good as you're, you're like my second favorite director next to Joe Gideon. Right. <laughs> just the look on John Lithgow's face and oh, the so violence with his of his signature. It's like it to me that was priceless. That's like, oh wow, that was a, that was a great John Lithgow moment uh, in my was, mind. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. he, he's he's got great expressions, and this is no, yeah. pretty early film for him i'm not sure when garp came out um but it was you know i think a great great little um uh role for him um and you know i don't remember seeing him in the film the other times and now i remember because he's done such great work since um i wanted to address so one of the big controversial things about this film is the five minute death scene musical number at the end which I have to say, seeing it this time, 
I felt was, you know, indulgent uh, and unnecessary and didn't work. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you have similar thoughts since you're not a if big fan of a, this film. If you caught me on a bad day, uh, I'd say the whole film is indulgent. <laughs> um, <laughs> from from two minutes in, I was just. But yes, I I strongly agree that the walking through the Kubler Ross five five state the Kubler Ross five stages of uh, the process of dying really didn't work for me, Uh, and the dramatization of it uh, really really didn't work because, and especially how the Angel of Death uh, ends up looking like a character from Xanadu. Um, you know, like the last shot of death, uh, she looks like, uh, Olivia Newton-John in Xanadu. And, uh, it's a Broadway production, man. What do you yeah, expect? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, I guess to me that look, it worked for Xanadu when they had roller skates. And I know this is a disco movie at the height of the disco <laughs> era. I get it. I don't think it's transposable out of that era. Okay. Um, but it worked in Xanadu. Uh, no diss in that. But it really does not work to represent death as a character that looks like they're from Xanadu. It just it 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 was worse than falling flat to me. And even okay. if it worked, disco shouldn't fall flat. But it you know like and it this totally failed uh and i guess another reason it it was obviously meant to be a payoff to um like the stand-up comic in uh the movie right that he's editing constantly they were tinkering with going through the kubler ross five stages of grieving which i to me is like the most ill well you have to do a bit of walking to make uh fast walking to make that one funny. Uh, So it was a sort of ill-conceived comedy routine. But anyway, so the it was meant to be a payoff of that uh, sequence uh, recurring in the film. And to me, it just didn't work. Like, to me, what was the comic was saying uh, and the routine, it didn't need a payoff. Uh, It's like that was a payoff that was a payoff to a minor plot point, and suddenly this is what is celebrated in the last five minutes of the movie. Um, right. You know, like, there was a lot of other things going on in this movie that would have been uh, more worthwhile to explicitly pay off uh, in the in the last five minutes. So, yeah, that, that last uh, few minutes and the the whole death montage just didn't work. It, I, my notes for it is, it's like um, the beginning of a lengthy hallucination in which Joe stages a variety show that involves expressing the interiority of, it, of his experience of death. This is all very Fellini-esque. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it okay. Was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was, but like, to me, it's like, okay, um, I don't have much more to say about it than it's Fellini-esque. And to me, me, if I'm the great movies, movie endings, 
you know, like, take your pick. You're not saying, oh, this is like that other director's movie ending. You're mm-hmm. saying, no. You're not saying, oh, The Godfather is like um, something else. Uh, you're saying, no, the, the last few minutes of The Godfather are... It's that and that alone. It has its own identity. It has its own value. And I find even the ending of Star Wars, you know, that has its own, it's its own thing. And the the ending of uh, all that jazz, it's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is Fellini in the disco era. Um, Yeah, I know. It flatlines and and it is, I think the, you know, that's, that's as much as we can say about it. But um, Yep. So I'm, so I'm glad we, we, we had this conversation about those films. I wanted to, um, maybe before we wrap up, we can do some, oh, by the way, speaking of perfect endings, I think the Fablemans has one of the best endings I've seen in a, in a film in a long, long time. It's at least the funniest I've seen. Don't uh, have you seen it? I haven't, no, you, I haven't, haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. It's queued up, but I was okay. busy watching Trouble and, uh, Bob Fosse. <laughs> well, sorry about that. So, yeah, yeah. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> uh, so Fableman's ending is the kind of ending you want to see in a movie. So Spielberg does this well, and I think he he nailed it in this. Um, any other hot takes about the Oscar picks uh, before we uh, hear what your film is for next time, or films, or whatever? Uh, I I think uh, Avatar got, get is getting too much attention. Um, yeah, well, it's also getting too much money, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's like, Hollywood. Uh, we we could uh, devote a whole episode at some point to why I dislike James Cameron. Not personally. oh god, no, I'm, I'm all in on that one. Yeah, because... yeah, not personally. I'm sure he's a fine guy, uh, but I, why I dislike James Cameron films? There, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, no, I mean, um, um, uh, let's do that. But we have to. Then we have yeah. to. Uh, praise uh, Ridley Scott um, in in the same show. You sure? Yeah, well, I'm good with that too. You know, like yeah, like like Blade Runner is perhaps one of the the masterpieces of my lifetime. Uh, Absolutely, we could we could do a whole show or 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 so on on the works of Ridley Scott. Any other hot can... takes about the Oscars, though? Uh, no, honestly, uh, I haven't paid a lot of attention. I, I barely have seen yeah. most of these films, actually. Yeah, like there's that controversy about the one that apparently no one has seen, but it strangely got nominated for uh, Best Actor and a few other ones. And this was like uh, basically the director hired, uh, or the director hired a PR firm to uh, schmooze the Academy. And uh, really? yeah, I saw that bounce by on my. Uh, my uh news feed but uh beyond that i i was like well everything everywhere all at once uh did get some note notice uh correct yeah and, yeah, and i, I think love- that was a fine yeah. film i enjoyed it yeah i love that film i i saw that film in the theater and i was like wow this is that most rare of things in cinema these days this is something new yeah you know yeah. and i was like and, and michelle yo is oh. phenomenal. She, I just love to watch her work. So I was yeah. very happy to see that. And Jamie Lee Curtis was in that too. Great. That yeah. was a, that was an amazing. That's show. a bureaucrat. No, I love that. She's yeah. great. Yeah. 
<laughs> which that show actually takes a swipe at the Oscars, eh? Yeah. Uh, everything. Yeah, like with uh, J.B. Lee Curtis playing the bureaucrat and uh, the trophy she gets for her work. It's mm-hmm. it's reminiscent of uh, the Oscars and something else. Uh, this is a this is a family, I guess, um, podcast. So we can't say what else. But yeah, watch the movie. You'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I was happy about that. I was happy. Uh, that Sarah Pauly got uh, some recognition for a, a script she doctored. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I thought, uh, honestly, I thought that uh, Wakanda Forever should have uh, gotten more uh, prestige. Haven't, haven't seen it. Did you? You you like that one? Oh, that was uh, one of the movies that uh, made me cry multiple times. Wow. Um, okay. It, like, uh, yeah, like. Uh, you don't have to be a Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe geek. You can just just have some of like the vaguest contours of what's going on. Uh, but that movie is essentially essentially Wakanda Forever is essentially a eulogy to uh, Chadwick Bosman who uh, okay. died. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll have to see it. Yeah, and it, you... it is Marvel does it right with this Good. one. Uh, so I thought that was, and I was really shocked that it didn't get more play. Um, I was disappointed, you know, because it's hard to break that barrier. So the, you know, the comic book genre films, I do think, it, um, sort of have a lot going against them for awards shows, yeah. except for in the um, effects and um, scores. Did you see Banshees of Inisherin? No, uh, I haven't. But again, it's been recommended to me, and yeah. everything I've heard about this movie, it sounds very interesting to me. It, it is very good. I recommend it, and I'm glad to. I think um, Colin uh, is it Colin Firth. Uh, Colin Farrell. Is, Colin, Colin Farrell, right? Colin yeah. Farrell, who is um, up for an award for that, um, and I think uh, has a good shot at it. Um, oh. My wife hates him. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan, but he's he's uh, he definitely puts in a great performance in this in this film. Yeah, um, I did think. Didn't Whale get some sort of? Didn't that get some sort of? Uh, Brendan Fraser, yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. He got a didn't he get a Golden Globe or something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm excited to see that too because. Everything I've seen about that movie makes it sound like it's a transcendent uh, uh, performance by him. Yeah, uh, and there's some controversy about the subject matter uh, and the treatment of the subject matter. But I mean, you know, I'm a yeah, big. Uh, uh, I, I, I'll see it, and I, I'm a big fan of Brendan Fraser. Actually, he's a he's a he's a, a better actor than people credit him for, and he's done some great work. Uh, most recently, at I've enjoyed his work on the Doom Patrol, um, which is a DC yeah. show on um, uh, HBO. It's been uh, pretty good. I haven't seen it, but uh, I will. I I, well, I saw it way back in its first season, and then it just sort of uh, fell off my viewing radar. But maybe I should revisit that. Um, it goes off the rails a bit. I mean, you got to be in the right mindset yeah. to watch it, but it's 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 fun. And, and I, I, I think he does a good job 
um, making this character um, human. And and I think that it looks like the whale, his role in that is uh, similar. Cool. Um, did you did you hear about this? Uh, this is not about the Oscars uh, directly. Did you hear about uh, the Razzie nominations? Uh, I did. Uh, yeah, the controversy surrounding that. Yeah, they nominated some yeah. some teens, some preteens. Yeah, yeah which is a of, rotten thing to do. Yeah, like what sort of scum of the earth takes an eleven year old's uh, it takes it bullies an eleven year old in a public manner? That's just no. It's yeah, it's it's garbage. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like my mom always used to say to me, "Check yourself before you wreck yourself." And these people yeah. uh, really should have checked themselves um, before. It's, it's contemptible that they would do yeah. that. Yeah. But, but uh-huh. speaking of which, um, if you have you seen The Last of Us on TV? Oh my! Oh my! That is so <laughs> good. That is that is so. Yeah. So good. That is uh, Charlene and I's uh, favorite thing on TV right now. Uh, yeah. That is just that is cinematic incredible. TV. Yeah, it's, it's it's a cinematic show. I mean, there are some shows like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and, yeah. and I'd say yeah. Last of Us and a couple of these that are cinema quality um, work. And yeah. that that girl, I don't know who's 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 playing it. She is so good, and Pedro Pascal and, and her have yeah. great chemistry in this third episode with um nick offerman oh yeah is amazing that just that amazing. whole story and like uh, the thing is based on like two video games right. uh, and uh, the apparently the nick offerman character like who's frank is, and basically it's uh Episode three focuses entirely on Frank. Apparently, he's just like basically a background character or close to a background character in this game, and he's hardly developed at all. So, for the writers to take this material and elevate it so much, like that third episode, which we just watched last night, was like, oh my, I can't believe this. Great television. Really wonderful yeah. acting. Yeah, it's, it's like been, it, it's a it's a golden age for television. Actually, I think we're yeah. still in a golden age. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I well, no, I won't say the snarky thing. I was going to say it's like if intelligent people directed uh, <laughs> did The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah. a bit snarky. I should take that back. Uh, this There's, is really there have been well a couple done. seasons yeah. of Walking yeah. Dead that were worth it. Actually, um, there were yes. Uh, the season I dropped out was when uh, when Negan went on for two seasons, and they just, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, oh, oh, come on. come on, I couldn't stick with that either. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm out. You know, <laughs> I'm just, thank you. It's been, <laughs> it's been fun. Uh, but yes, so far the last, the Last of Us is brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always eager to see the next episode. Yeah. So speaking of next episode, so okay. Uh, Drum roll. Okay. And uh, my suggestion for our next film is following up on Roy Scheider's uh, portrayal of Joe Gideon, I would like to do uh, the movie Sorcerer. Uh, okay. stars Roy Scheider. Um, I don't have much to say about this other than 
I saw it like uh, four years ago, and I loved it. Fantastic. Um, okay. Yeah, I thought it was a really good movie, and uh, I think at some point uh, the Jacobin wrote an article about it. Uh, but yes, uh, so that is my suggestion. Uh, Sorcerer, I think it's a William Fred Fredson movie. Yeah, uh, okay, the yeah, director yeah. of uh, yeah. Exorcist. Yes, yeah. Uh, and if you want to, if you were into doing the twofers, uh, we could do another one, but we could do that as well. Or if you just want to as well, or, so, or, or yeah, let's do, uh, actually, no, let's, <laughs> let's just do sorcerer and see how, okay. how that goes. Yeah, no, let, let's do that. I, it, it's great. Uh, I haven't seen that film uh, yet at all. So this is my, all that jazz to, uh, you know, your experience with all that jazz. Um, well, I'm okay. looking forward to seeing it. Okay, well, there's less disco in Sorcerer. Just, <laughs> just, just always a good sign. Yeah, just throw that out there. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, Rob. Well, it's okay. been a pleasure as always, and and yes. thank you all for listening and subscribing, joining our Facebook page, sending in messages, um, threats, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> We're, yeah. Well, we haven't gotten any death threats yet, but um, maybe Roy, Roy maybe okay. Bob Fosse is going to leave a, the ghost of Bob Fosse is going to leave a nasty message for you, Rob. We're going to get jazz hands. <laughs> I'm going to dream of jazz hands. I don't know. Well, but I, I'll, 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 risk, I'll run that risk, I guess. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. We'll see you next time. Okay, see you next time. Thank you very All much. Right, thank you. Bye-bye.